So being soft was not necessarily an option. And unfortunately, I didn't have any women in my life who had the privilege and the opportunity to be soft or to engage with their softness either. It was unfamiliar. It was unfamiliar to me. And then also I equated softness with emotional vulnerability. And that was absolutely not going to be conducive to my survival and the different ways in which I had to survive and not only survive, but thrive. So softness right now is a deliberate choice. What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Cheryl, back with another episode of the Shades of Strong podcast. We have another dope Black woman joining us in the virtual studio today. She is unapologetic. She is beautiful. She's amazing. And just like all the women that we have on, she does all the things and she does them well. Ivory Bennett most certainly dances to the beat of her own strong. Hey, Ivory, how are you, girl? Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Before we dive into the conversation, before you start sharing your journey with us and all of that, go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, why you do it, how you do it, what sets your soul on fire, all of those things. Oh, I have so many answers, but I'll keep it short because I know we have a lot of times. But hey, y'all. So my name is Ivory Bennett. I am an educational leader. I am an advocate for education equity and foster care equity, and I am a writer. I do write some articles, some of which we'll talk about today, but I'm also a very creative writer. So I write a lot of poetry and plays. If you're interested, find me on social media. Hopefully my website will be coming out soon. I'm working on it, y'all. But yeah, I do lots and lots and lots of things. Yeah, she does. She does, y'all. And I'm going to share all of that in the show notes of this episode. We'll have information about how you can connect with her. This season is all about honoring and sharing the stories of Black women who are daring to do strong differently. And like I said, Ivory is definitely one of those women. She is making a conscious and deliberate effort to give up a life of being strong by society's definition. She really is serious about taking out the cape, unmasking, and unhiding and really get into a space where she can create a life of playing ease. And so again, that's what this season is about. And we are doing that by way of our My Strong Is campaign. If you want to be a part of the campaign, you can find information about that on our website at shadestrong.com, or you can share what your strong is by tagging us on your favorite social media platform. My Strong Is, fill in the blank, hashtags, Shades of Strong, Hashtag my strong is. So we're going to start the conversation with your my strong is statement. So I want to ask you to complete and replete, compete and replete. What? <laughs> compete, complete and repeat my strong is. My strong is soft, feminine, and receptive. Okay, first of all, has that always been your strong? And I'm asking that question because growing up in the Black female culture, Black women are, air quote, supposed to be kind of, I don't want to say really hard, but... That's what it is, though. We're we're supposed to be hard and we're supposed to be, like, well put together and we're always supposed to, like, have our shit together. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so when when I think about being soft, I'm like, eh... 
Are we really that? So first of all, is that, has that always been your journey? Have you always been this person who considers your, considers your strong to be soft, feminine and receptive? Absolutely not. (laughs) I I think like you've alluded to as a black woman, especially I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. There's a lot of racism that I had to deal with personally that my family has dealt with historically. And also, you know, I spent 17 years in foster care. I was in a dozen different schools and homes throughout my K through 12 education. So being soft was not necessarily an option. And unfortunately, I didn't have any women in my life who had the privilege and the opportunity to be soft or to engage with their softness either. It was unfamiliar. It was unfamiliar to me. And then also I equated softness with emotional vulnerability. And that was absolutely not going to be conducive to my survival and the different ways in which I had to survive and not only survive, but thrive. So softness right now is a deliberate choice. And it is something that I'm I'm continually striving towards. It still feels very uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good to soften. You know, it feels it feels vulnerable. It's triggering in a lot of different ways, but I'm trying to embrace it because I know that it's our legacy and we deserve softness. And part of being a feminine individual is being soft and being receptive because that's our natural right. So I think it's really about remembering who we are and where we come from and what we truly deserve and acknowledging that. Being strong doesn't have to look or sound or feel a certain way. And that being soft doesn't have to go against our survival. How did you get in this space where you're like, I don't want to do it the way I've always done it? So let me say this first and foremost, I'm very passionate about the mental and emotional health and the holistic health overall of Black women. The reason that I was in foster care for 17 years was because my mother had a myriad of mental illnesses. She had bipolar disorder and schizophrenia as well. And those were the two main things that kept us, me and my sister, bouncing in and out of foster care for 17 years. So it is a passion of mine and it will probably be a passion of mine until I die to not only give myself permission to be holistically healthy and whole, but to also encourage other Black women and women of color to choose themselves and to be healthy and happy and whole in whatever way that requires. And I think I've been on this journey. I think I was in college when I was like, you know what? I don't want to be hard anymore. I want to push against. I'm, I'm a very sensitive person, actually. I'm a really emotional person. But giving myself permission to be a human being with feelings was another element of that journey. And I think I realized when I was an undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh, I was like, you know what? I want to give myself permission to be my whole self. And my whole self is soft. And that little part of me is screaming out to me like, hey, acknowledge me, please. Give me a space to exist in your everyday life, please. So I'm 31 now. I'll be 32 in a few weeks in September. So it's probably been almost 10 or 12 years since I was super duper intentional about being on an emotional journey to where I could embrace my sensitivity and my emotionality and not just save it for art or as a performance, but give myself permission to be emotional and sensitive to the world around me in everyday life. Do you find that sometimes it can be challenging to stay in that space? It is absolutely challenging. (laughs) It like goes against everything that America expects of Black women, right? Because quiet as it's kept, we have done so much for this country. We literally, when we were slaves, we had to breastfeed not only our children, but the children of slave owners. 
We were also tilling the fields. We were cooking the food. We were making the clothes. We were brushing the hair of our slave masters, wives and daughters. I mean, we were their companions as they grew up and went into adulthood. I mean, we've just done so much for the foundation of this country. And then if you go later in time, we were the maids, right? We were the mammies. We were the people who were listening. We were the therapists before therapists were a thing. We were the healers before healers were a thing, right? Come on, Avery. And it's like, my God, we have showed up for everyone but ourselves. But ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I always say we dance to the beat of our own strong, but for so many years, like you're saying, we've been dancing to the beat of everybody's strong except ours. Except ours, except ours. And then unfortunately, when you contextualize that with media representation, right? So now you have the love and basketballs and you have the real housewives. And I can't pretend like I don't watch it because I do. It's a good pleasure, <laughs> right? But unfortunately, the narratives on those shows that are mainly cast of Black women, it shows us tearing each other down. It shows us leaning into all of the negative parts of American culture and society. It highlights the things about us that are superficial or that are so far removed from our ancestral roots that it's like, I don't even know what I'm watching sometimes. Like, what is this? And so I think it's so important. It is just so important for us to remember who we are. And it's so important for us to ground us in taking care of ourselves because we cannot pour from empty cups. And we need to stop doing that. We need to stop idolizing grind culture and hustle culture that's played out. It's played out. It's exhausting. It's contributing to detrimental health. And we deserve to be healthy. Our health is our wealth. We deserve to be healthy in every possible way. When I emailed you and I was like, complete the statement, and you were saying that my strongest soft it reminded me of your article that I came across an article that you wrote, I think back in 2021. Mm -hmm. And the title of that article is you can be strong and choose rest. I want to dive into some of the things that you talked about in that article. And I'm going to just read a quote from it because the thing that stood out for me was, and I quote, I love my students, but the culture of education suggests that if I am not suffering insidiously on their behalf, then I am not fully invested in the work that I do. Again, another blatant capitalistic lie designed to oppress educators into silent suffering. And when I read that, I was like, you know what? I think that this is the story of Black women across the the glow, regardless of what profession that they're in, because it's what we deal with in our everyday lives, both in our business and our personal lives. So can we talk about that for a moment? What was going on in your life at that time? And how does being soft, feminine and receptive align or misalign with that point of view? Ooh, so many things are going on in my life at that point. So I think that was published in July of last year. I may have not been en route from Nigeria back to America in preparation for the upcoming school year. And I was just at a really difficult campus. And to be honest with you, it was a heartbreaking experience because it was the first chance that I got to teach at a primarily African-American school and to work with primarily African-American teachers and education leaders. So I came into the setting very excited, very wanting to pour into my people and to love my people through the lens of being an educator. And I was also a cheerleading coach, too. So for those of you who have coached cheerleading... You know that it really never stops. It's like all year long and some of the summer too, and it's just exhausting. And so I was incredibly exhausted, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally. I was discouraged because I was showing up every day for a community of people who did not seem 
to appreciate what I was trying to do for them and how I was trying to show up for them and be with them and and help them and, and give their children a future. And then on top of that, the state of education, it was a mess and it still is a mess. And it's probably going to continue to be a mess for the future. Let's just be really honest. I mean, I love education. I always have a will, but it is a dumpster fire right now. <laughs> like, and we need to make some radical changes, but I digress. So at that time, I was asked by um, an organization that I write for quite often. They were like, hey, can you do this piece for us really quickly? I believe it was when Simone Biles had decided to step away from the competition, from the Olympic competitions. I believe it was like Tokyo. And she did that because of her mental health and well-being. And for those of you who don't know or realize, Simone Biles was also in foster care and I believe she was adopted. So that's that's kind of the connection between why I was writing about her and, and the stances that I took in terms of being inspired by her journey. But Unfortunately, a lot of education culture is that it's based on the model of disrespecting women and caregivers, to be honest. Um, Most teachers, most teachers are, a lot of teachers are women or identify as women. And we know that in our culture, our society doesn't really value the work that homemakers and caregivers do every day to keep the trains moving and the train in motion. And the same just translates right over to education. A lot of people take for granted the work that teachers and coaches and administrators do every single day. You know, it's not just about the summers off, to be honest with you. We work so hard throughout the school years that the summers feel like two minutes. Right. Like, oh, hot girl summer. Y'all just... (laughs) You be like, rest girl summer. (laughs) Girl, we be on the couch. We be in the bed all summer long. (laughs) It is not what you think it is, but... I think the other thing that's not discussed about and that's definitely not compensated for is the emotional labor of educators. You know, when we we are sometimes with people's children more than they are with their own children, especially if your kids are in after school activities or if they're in sports or if they're in organizations or clubs like the teachers and the coaches, we're with your children. We're not only teaching them whatever content it is that we are assigned to teach, but we're also coaching them through life or giving them mental, emotional support and development. Um, we're, we're there for them. I've had kids come to me and tell me about different traumas. And I've had to show up in ways that I never, they didn't teach me that in grad school. They didn't teach me that. Right. Well, that wasn't in the, the booklet when I was hired at this district to do, but I've had to show up and do it. And don't get me wrong. Like I love those children and I feel honored and grateful to have been a part of their journeys. And I hope that I was able to help them and give them what they needed at that time. But there's so much more to teaching children it's just A, B, C, and one, two, three. And I think that's the really frustrating part of being a teacher right now. So I say all that to say that I was exhausted in every single possible way. I was not getting paid enough. I was not getting respected enough. There comes a certain point where you can get, you can only get so many accolades. You know, I don't want another certificate. I don't want another trophy. I don't want another pizza party after school. Like just, just pay me what I'm worth and respect me. And that will be enough. And so I was tired. I was frustrated. And I was at the point where it's like every single day I wanted to quit. I had fantasies about quitting. And I laughed because I know so many people who are still in this position of fantasizing about how they're going to quit. They're like, am I going to send an email? Or they have the email drafted up already. I had my email drafted up months in advance. Am I going to make a big show about it and just like slam out the doors and scream at the top of my lungs or you know, am I going to just not show up one day and not answer anyone's phone calls? Like these are fantasies that teachers have had and continue to have. 
because of how poorly they're being treated. And so I say all that to say the escapism is extreme, right? The idea that you would sit and fantasize about the ways that you're going to quit and leave a job, that's extreme. And I think that it speaks to the trauma of working in education and the trauma of being a teacher at a Title I school, trauma of being overworked and underappreciated consistently. And I think that just compounded on, you know, me and my experiences of being a Black woman. It compounded with me and my experiences of being a type 1 diabetic. It compounded with my experiences of being a former foster youth of 17 years. It compounded with my experiences of being just an oppressed, marginalized American, which is a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I was coming back or going to Nigeria around this time. And one of the reasons that I love to travel internationally is because I feel safer outside of this country than I do inside of it. That hopefully can communicate to y'all how unsafe I feel in America at the time and how sometimes I have to leave this country just to find myself again or just to get a little bit of a reprieve, which is just one of the driving reasons for me and my international traveling. But I was I was exhausted and I was depleted. And when I heard about Simone Biles, you know, this Olympian, like amazing young Black woman who has overcome being in foster care to become an Olympic medalist, when I saw the courage that it took for her to step away and to prioritize her mental and emotional health, which I'm sure positively impacted her holistic health in the long run. I'm sure it was hard immediately, but in the long run, I'm sure it had so many beautiful benefits for her. When I saw that she could walk away from that, when I saw that she could choose that above the chatter, when I saw that she could choose that above the judgment, when I saw that she could choose that above her own, probably like relationship to accolades, I'll be honest, I love a good accolade. Like, I really, give me an honor, give me an award. Don't we all? I want some honorary degrees before I die. I'm trying to become a doctor. I'm trying to figure that out too. We all love a good accolade, but for her to step away from that when she, we know she's a beast, right? She is a contender, honey. She is going to get it every single time. So for her to step away from that, that was powerful. And I said to myself, if Simone can step away from it, I can step away from this as well. And I think that that was the beginning of when I got serious about finding another opportunity for myself. Um, And it was hard because I had guilt. I had guilt about leaving my kids. I don't, I'm not even sure that they had an official teacher record for the rest of the year once I quit my job teaching. And I quit in September. So this would have been about less than two months after I wrote this article. So I think they kind of went a whole year without an official English teacher. I think they kind of went a whole year without an official chair coach. I could be wrong, but to my understanding, that's what happened because teachers and coaches are not really being replaced in this current climate of education. And so that weighed heavily on my heart. It really did. But Another part of me knew this, and I had to keep telling myself this, that I'm a role model for kids as well. And if I want kids to take care of themselves and to love themselves and to center and prioritize their holistic health and well-being, and if I want little Black girls to feel like being strong is to be soft and feminine and receptive, then I need to choose me. Exactly. And I need to choose me. I need to show them what it looks like to choose yourself. And so I did that. I got an opportunity. So a few weeks into the school year, I ended up stepping away. And it was not easy. I think the hardest part was actually missing my everyday interactions with my kids and with my cheerleaders. But I stepped away from it. And so I'm still working in education. Education is still a mess. <laughs> but it's a different kind of a mess. <laughs> 
It's a different of a mess. And I just feel like I'm still uncomfortable because I'm not completely aligned with what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. But I think that like the more I lean into my strong being soft, the more I lean into my strong being feminine, the more I lean into my strong being receptive, the more I'll start to easily ascertain which routes I need to take so that yeah. I can really live a life of joy and live a life where I don't feel exhausted and live a life where I feel celebrated to be me and to do the things that I was called to do. Absolutely. Life is a continuous journey and we're constantly growing and evolving. And so the more, like you said, the more you lean into the softness and the femininity and start believing that I deserve to receive these things. I deserve to receive rest. I deserve to put myself first. And then the softer you'll become, the less stressed you'll become. But thank you for bringing up the the Simone Biles situation, because I remember when that happened, the naysayers, oh, well, she doesn't look tired or, you know, you know, all these things. And then I think there was someone who had died by suicide shortly after. And a lot of people were saying, well, she she doesn't look sick. And Mm -hmm. so I guess my question for you is, why do we have to look like what we've been through in order for people to say she deserves, deserves rest? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's really close to my heart, too, because I think I've mentioned it a few times already. I have type 1 diabetes, and so it's kind of an invisible illness. Um, And let's see my insulin pump or you see me checking my blood sugar, like you might not realize there's anything wrong with me because, again, I don't look sick, quote, quote, right? I think this is kind of one of the... (laughs) One of the blessings of being a black woman is that we don't look like what we've been through and we don't age. So (laughs) my melanin is popping, babe. You look young forever. (laughs) I mean, sometimes not always, but you know, tend to look really, really good. And I've literally been in situations before. I remember I ended up in the ICU after I got back from Cuba. The water in Cuba had me messed up, y'all. And so I was literally in the ICU because it made me so sick that it affected my diabetes and it threw me into something called DKA. And I'm there, you know, I have IVs hanging out of both arms. I'm super dehydrated. I'm feeling like I'm dying. And the doctor's like, oh, but you look great. And everyone's like, yeah, you look fantastic. And I'm like, I didn't ask y'all how I looked. <laughs> how do I feel? Exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you how I feel. Yes. I'm in the ICU right now. This is serious, right? Because you don't just end up in the ICU. They have to deliberately put you there. I do not feel well. I've told you all of my symptoms. You see my statistics right now. They're not looking wonderful. And you have the nerve to comment on my appearance, which is not even something that I opted into. You just felt like I needed to, to hear that, I guess. And I think there's so many different layers to that. I mean, there's the layer of women always being objectified, right? Like, look good, or at least you still look sexy, or at least you still look young. Right. Um, But I think the other thing is that, like, there's this lack of acknowledgement across many different cultures of Black women being able to be vulnerable or Black women being able to be tired or exhausted or even sick and unwell. You know, it's like, maybe, maybe it's that if we are not okay, then no one else would really be okay. So maybe people, maybe people need us to look okay. You know, maybe people need that facade of us being these larger than life, God-like superheroes. Um, maybe it does something for them in their sense of orientation in the world. But I, I don't really, look, if someone out there knows, please let us know. Send an email. <laughs> <laughs> Why do y'all need us to not look sick? <laughs> Why, what is that? What is that fulfilling for y'all? I'm not, I, I don't really know. I don't get it, but. And and that did remind me of the young woman. I think she was like a Miss America contestant. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. A winner. Yes. Yeah. And she she was a beautiful woman as well, but she was clearly suffering. 
And she decided that, you know, she couldn't do this anymore. And I hate that. I hate that no one listens to us and I hate that no one sees us. And I hate that no one feels us in the way that other people seemingly get to be felt and heard and listened to and attended to. Well, in that same vein, I agree. When you say you hate that no one sees us and hears us and all those things, but as a Black female culture, why aren't we demanding to be seen and demanding to be heard? In more cases than not, I can see from my own personal experience, like I find, I, I often find, or some, not often, not as much as I used to, but sometimes find myself cowering back because we have for so long had this image of being strong and being all the things. And so there's a small part of me that still wants to be that person. So why do you think we as a culture, as a Black female culture, are not comfortable demanding what we deserve and demanding to be seen and heard? I think there's a lot of different answers to this question. I think that some of us have toxic relationships to these projections from others. So some of us find safety in being perceived as being strong, right? Some of us have never seen what it means to be soft and to be healthy and well. Some of us, this is just all we know, and we're not really interested in digging deep or doing the work to change. And I think some people see it as even probably a negative thing. Like, I don't want to be soft. I don't want to be able to be hurt. I don't want to be able to be pierced in that kind of way. So being hard is a protective mechanism or layer. I mean, we could we could probably write an entire dissertation on this, but I think that also it comes from a place of people lacking their own personal liberation. Because mm. once you set your eyes on your personal liberation, you'll do anything, anything necessary to secure and sustain your freedom. And that will even look like surrendering your perceived strength and look like giving up those attributes that people just callously throw on you because it makes them feel good or it's been normal or it's been historically what's just been the status quo. So for me personally, I'm just in the process of rejecting all of those things. And it is really weird because people will expect you to show up and to be the strong Black woman. People expect you to show up and to not be tired and to not talk about being tired and to not quote unquote complain or to not be the Debbie Downer, right? Right. And I unfortunately exist in a lot of spaces with a lot of like highly achieving perfectionist type A people. So it's absolutely <laughs> counterintuitive to a lot of the spaces in which I exist, which is a me thing. I need to choose alignment, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're a work in progress. We're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> We're a work in progress. Right, right. I acknowledge perfectionism is not healthy. It's not sustainable. And it's not something that I really want or need in my life. It had a place for in time years ago. It helped me to survive and to thrive as a child. But I am an adult now. So I need to do adult things and I need to choose my healing. And my healing does not include perfectionism. And my healing does not include like overly achieving. For what? For who? For who? <laughs> the average Black woman, first of all, we are, if I'm not mistaken, still the highest educated group of Americans in America. We have so many degrees and credentials and qualifications. We're amazing. We, I know average across the board, the average Black woman does twice as much as her counterparts to only get half as much. This is true. So it's like, why? Why? Why are we continuing to opt into that? Opt out. Opt out, y'all. The world, opt if the out. World, if the world crumbles and burns without you, let it crumble and burn. Let it crumble and burn. If you're that valuable, people need to burn so they can feel that. 
And all honestly, we can say opt out, but it's scary as it's so to opt out. You know, I think you and I talked about this before. Oftentimes when we think about that, we think about all of the responsibilities that we have. And so we find ourselves continuing to stay in this space because, okay, yeah, it's affecting my mental health. It's affecting my emotional health, but I got bills to pay. And so we can, we find ourselves just staying in that space. So, so by no means are we saying that, okay, quit your job. We're saying do it responsibly. Do it responsibly. We're saying make a plan. Make a plan. Strategize. To, to do, strategize, exactly. To do things differently. You know, we know that it's not as easy as just like airports opting out, you know. So we totally get that. So we don't want to imply that we're saying, oh, just do it. Because that's, that's absolutely not what we're saying. I wanted to touch a little bit on what you were saying in our previous conversation. You mentioned an Audre Lorde quote where you were saying that Audre Lorde often referred uh, self-care as political warfare. Mm. And so and I think you do, too, because you because you also said in that same statement that putting yourself putting yourself first is radical. And so how can we get to this this space where we will do that? And I know that's a loaded question, (laughs) but, you know, I just feel like we have these conversations all the time. And we and like as black women, like we strive, you know, to put ourselves first. But oftentimes we see it as as a luxury rather than something radical. Mm. If that makes sense. I think it starts there. We need to view it as a necessity. And we really need to lean into we come from people who are not individualist. American culture has become toxically individualist. We come from cultures and ancestors who were all about community. And some people, some ethnic groups in this country have maintained that and they've been able to have their community hubs. They pour into one another. They grow each other's businesses. And so they have at least some financial and economic mobility that necessarily African-Americans don't have access to here. And so I think it starts with community. It starts with us normalizing that we are worthy enough to be prioritizing our health and our well-being. It comes from sewing into your direct community members. So if you have a good sis who makes T-shirts, why are you paying someone else who's not a Black woman to make your T-shirt? If you need someone to cater your event, have patience with your good sis, communicate clearly and directly what it is that you want and need, and pay your good sis to be your caterer. We need to really start supporting each other's businesses so that we can get that financial freedom and that financial ability necessary to make these choices. Because honestly, money is a lot of the problem when it comes to Black people prioritizing themselves. Absolutely. So that's why we would never say, hey, go quit your job. <laughs> that's I'm Because we get it. <laughs> like, that's, that's not what we're saying. But what I will say is that, listen, if I can strategize for these companies and these organizations and do so in such a successful way that if I take off, it's a big deal, then I can also bring that back to myself and strategize for myself so that I can position myself to have financial stability. And not only that, not just survive, but to thrive. And so if you know a Black woman or you know a Black person who is doing something that you can buy their services, buy Black, support Black, because we need that financial stability in that community to be able to feel safe enough to do the emotional part of this work as well, right? Because if, if your hierarchy of needs aren't met, if you don't have a safe living environment, if you don't have food and water and basic rights, 
to be honest with you, sis, this is going to feel like a daunting, inaccessible thing, talking about freedom and softness and femininity and receptivity. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> so we it absolutely, absolutely is. It right. absolutely is. Right, like, don't talk to me about that. I don't. I didn't eat last night. I didn't sleep in a safe place last night. I don't care mm-hmm. about my freedom right now. I care about my hungry stomach and, and not having a, a safe place to live, right? So it really starts for me, in my opinion, it starts with financial literacy and it starts with creating a community that's centered around supporting one another. And in this context, talking about Black women. So support the Black women in your life. Buy from them, use their services, mentor one another. You know, like that's how that's how wealth is generated. It's, it's generated through mentorship. It's generated through community. It's generated through those secrets that are passed on through family lines about how you not only gain and amass wealth, but how you maintain it and increase it. And so for me, we really need to get serious about our financial literacy. So it looks like what's happening in your personal life, what's happening in your personal finances, but then also be mindful about the collective. So who do you know who you can sow into and help build them up? And if you can't give them money, you can give them time. You can give them emotional support. You can give them connections within your network that will allow them to grow and to leverage whatever it is that they need to do. And a lot of times we won't stop and rest, Ivory, because mm-hmm. if we do, we got to think about all of that. Yes. We got to think about all the things that that we're lacking in our yeah. lives. And so sometimes it's easier for us to just stay busy because mm-hmm. if I stay busy, then I don't have to focus on all those things. But awareness is power. Yes. When you come yeah. into the awareness that these are the things that are lacking in my life, and that includes financial literacy. When you come into mm-hmm. the awareness, then you can do something about it. So stop being afraid to stop and rest because you don't want to think about what's happening. Right. Absolutely. And I'll say too, like, stop being afraid to question things. I think sometimes, especially in a Western culture and in American society, we put a lot of value on our things, right? Like, mm, girl, I need to get my hair done every two weeks. And I need to done every two weeks. And if it's not Gucci, I don't want it. If it's not Fendi, I don't want it. Right. But at what cost? are these things happening? Like if you have to work day and night and you're dog ass tired, listen, if you don't take a break for you, your body will pick when it takes the break. Oh, yes, and it's it not going to be during a convenient time. And hopefully it's not a long-term sustainable damage that you do to where it develops into a chronic illness or disease, but that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. I say all that to say, question your relationship to things And what can you cut out to alleviate your financial stress and to free up your money so that you can start to build that solid financial foundation? Like maybe you don't need to get your hair done every two weeks. Maybe you could do every month, sis. Listen, I have a lot of hair. I don't like to wash my hair. It's a whole thing. But until I can legitimately afford without being stressed out to get my hair done as much as I want to get it done. All right. We're going to budget to get braids every two months. Right. And I'm just have to wear my hair curly when it's not braided. You know, Um, and so what is your relationship to things? Because also things are, when you die, you don't take things with you. So you know, are there things that you can, can cut out of your life to ease your financial burden? Just think about that and, and prioritize what your, your time and your energy and your health is always going to be more important than money. And it's going to be more important than, than status symbol things. And a lot of the things that we put our money into are status symbol things. To be honest with you, if you have to think twice or thrice about it, you probably can't afford it. So come on, sis. <laughs> let's just be real. Let's be real honest, y'all. Because when you can afford it, you don't even look at the price. Let's be real. Right. So why are you continuing to stress yourself out about things that really in the long term are insignificant? And this is where the difference happens, because a lot of other cultures will know this and act accordingly. Uh-huh. 
and, and look at the brand name luxury uh, things after they have accumulated the wealth and the financial stability and the financial mobility. And we've somehow flipped it around to do the opposite. So we just need to really question our relationship to things, to people, to places, to traditions, and be willing to try new things and be uncomfortable. Not forever, but, you know, for a while. Because this is hard work. This is lifelong work. Um, so it's not going to happen immediately. Before we start wrapping it up, I want to go back and talk a little bit about when you left your assignment. I think you said it was in, in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. And during our conversation before, you mentioned how your leader, who happened to be a Black woman, was treating you so badly that it almost felt like you were being hazed. Ooh. And you went on to say how, as Black women, we can unconsciously or sometimes deliberately make it difficult for other Black women to rest. Can you speak to that a little bit? And do you think that applies? Do you think the same applies to the burden of being strong or soft or feminine? Yes, there's so many layers to that conversation as well. But what I will say is that I think in her own strange way, she probably thought that she was molding me into this great educational leader, right? She probably thought that she was treating me in a loving, kind, nurturing way. My experience of her was opposite in every imaginable way. My experience with her was harsh. My experience with her was there was no communication as to why she would do the things that she would do. My experience felt unnecessarily difficult. Um, I just don't feel like things had to be as hard as they ended up being. And I say all that to say is that I've had a lot of similar experiences, especially with older Black women. Here's the thing, like, even though I was in foster care for 17 years, I have a very strong sense of who my mother is. So I've never really wanted or looked for a mother in another woman. I will take aunties. I'm open for aunties. I'll have all right. the <laughs> I'll take all the sisters, all the cousins, like, yes, for that. But I don't need to replace my mother. And I think that sometimes people look at me and they're like, oh, she was a foster kid. She needs a mom. No, no. I just need you to do what it is that you're supposed to do. So if you're my boss, I need you to be a good boss. If you're my leader. I need you to be a good leader. If you are literally one of my blood relatives, then be the best, whatever it is that you're supposed to be, whether that be a cousin or an auntie or whatever. But I think that we need to get out of this mind of like hardening people up or getting them prepared for the world in a way that is damaging. I I feel like it should go without saying, but clearly we need to have conversations about this because I think that some people's idea of leadership and sowing into the next generation is making them tough, right? And it's pushing them to the brink and is like expanding their capacities in ways that are just not sustainable and that are traumatic and toxic and damaging in the long run. And so I think that she probably just has a different perspective on what it means to be, be a leader and what it means to mold people into good leaders, But long story short, as Black women, it is my hope and my prayer on a daily basis that we let go of this narrative that we have to be catty and competitive with women. I am fortunate and blessed to have a lot of women in my life with whom I don't argue, with whom I don't have fights with. We can have disagreements, but we can respectfully disagree and move on in a positive way in our relationships. But this whole narrative of like, I'm catty, or I'm going to talk bad about you because I'm really jealous of you, or I'm going to talk bad about you because I like you, but you don't seem to like me. It's played out. Absolutely. Have direct communication with people, have conversations with people. If you want to be a girl's friend, be like, hey, sis, you're beautiful. Can I be your friend? It's really that easy. (laughs) It's really 
really, you don't have to make up stories. You don't have to go dig up dirt on anyone. You don't have to be with someone because you really like them. That whole pathology is played out. If you want to be someone's friend, go up to them and tell them that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking about so many good things today. (laughs) (laughs) Because listen, it is passionate about mine and just not even specific to black women, but women in general. Just women in general. Yes. I hate that catty, bitchy narrative. Like Mm -hmm. that is not the case. And I've known so many beautiful women who were kind and who were sweet and who were soft and who were protective and fierce and who are successful. Like I know people who have been elected to Congress. I know child prodigies and classical music. I know amazing minds who have gone to like Ivy League colleges, all black women, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, all millennials, by the way. And they were not catty, bitchy people. They were beautiful black women. And so like, I really hope and pray that all black women can embrace that you can be soft and kind and feminine. If with no one else, with us, with us, absolutely. With no one else with absolutely. us, let, let black women be your safe space if no one and nothing else is. Oh, I love um, that. So I'm going to shift just a little bit. As I mentioned earlier, this season is it's all about getting black women back to a space of where, where we can play, just like enjoy life and not just be like so consumed with, you know, all the things that are going on around us. So in that regard, if you could have an entire day of play, what would that look like for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you go? What would you do? Who would you take? With ah, you? Yes. You so my first immediate thought was I have to be near an ocean. I have to be near an ocean. Um, because that is a place that I love ideally outside of America, but I'll take a beautiful beach here in America too. But if it's my ideal day, let's be honest, I'm going to be in a foreign country at someone's ocean. Um, I'm going to be with my um, my muse because I, I write plays and poetry, but I really look forward to developing my plays and creating them into actual performances, right? You mentioned play. I envision myself sitting either in the audience or backstage, and I'm going through the lines of a show with my muse, and we're talking about it, and the actors are on stage directly rehearsing their scenes, And I'm watching people put up the set, right? And I'm seeing the lights being played with and I'm getting my hair and my nails done because I've made it in y'all, you know, like the ultimate pampering situation. But I'm also nursing my baby because I found love and, you know, I've had children. And so I'm, I'm able to be a mom and to be all of these beautiful things. And my husband is bringing dinner to us. He's on the way from wherever it is that he's doing. Maybe my little puppy child is somewhere in the, um, (laughs) the room running around living his best life too, you know? And so... For me, that would be the ultimate day of play. Oh, I would yes. Be, I would love, love it. Yes, I would be near an ocean and I would just be doing what it is that I was put on this earth to do, which is to create stories and to help people change their lives through my storytelling and through my art. So surrounded by the ones I love. So that would be a really beautiful day of play for me. Oh, yes. I love, and I just love how you just brought in all this future stuff, girl. Yes. <laughs> I love she had a husband, a child and a dog. Oh, yes, honey. I love it. That was beautiful. That was so beautiful. Listen, if you all have not done that, I encourage you to think about what your ideal day of play would be. And then figure out a way to bring that thing into fruition. Like we do these vision boards all the time of like what we want our career to look like, places we want to go, you know, like how about doing a play date vision board? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Let's Mm -hmm. do that and then come up with a plan to make that happen. I'm encouraging all of my listeners to do that. Come up with a play date 
vision board. Y'all know what? I may host a play date vision board. Let's party. do it. I want to make yeah. one. And then we can actually yes. have them. We can have them happen. So yeah. you're yeah. not going to do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Count yes. me in. Do that. Yes. Listen, I, this has been all the things like I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You have just given us so much to think about. I mean, it's, it's been a lot and just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey with us, pieces of your journey with us. It's been a lot because I think often like rest and play. Yeah. We gotta, we we gotta get back there. Like we do. And and I say back there, but I don't know that we've ever really that, you know, I was thinking that I was like, how many of us have actually never really been yeah. there? Have that's, we ever been there? I don't think I really have. And I think that I'm yeah. trying. I think that's what makes it harder for us. Yeah, because, because we, we don't it's not familiar for us. And so it's hard yeah. for us to get back to a place that we've never been. Because, like, think about our history mm-hmm. and our ancestors. Mm-hmm. Have we ever really been in a place of play and rest and ease? Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't include Hennessy or like, you know, driving a boat. <laughs> no, right. Exactly. That part. I'm, I'm talking about like everyday experience, you know, but yeah, that's a whole other episode too. But anyway, so yeah, we got to get ready to get out of here. But before we go, Ivory, what is the, if you can sum it all up, mm-hmm. what is the, they got to get this if they don't get anything else message you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Mm. Allow rest to be a radical act of revolution and resistance for yourself. And if you don't give yourself permission to rest, your body will take rest on your behalf. And it's way less convenient than anything you could have planned out and scheduled. All right. One last question. I like to ask, ask this of all my guests. A message that you would give to your younger self using your my strongest statement or just knowing what you know about life today. And knowing what you know about the power of being soft, feminine, and receptive, Mm. what is a message that you would give to a younger Ivory and how old is she? Before I answer this, though, I want to say thank you so much, Shirley, for having me. Um, Thank you for the work that you're doing with this podcast, because it is important to amplify Black voices and specifically Black women. So thank you for showing up in that way, my good sis. Absolutely. you. Um, and so I, uh, let me speak to little Ivy right now. So I'm a Virgo, y'all. And you know that like Virgos are born perfectionist. I would tell little Ivory that your imperfection is a part of life and it is not necessary for you to be perfect in everything that you do and that it doesn't matter how hard or how soft you are. There are certain lessons that you just have to learn. There are certain hurts that you're just going to have to experience. So take the time to smell the roses and take the time to embrace that life is messy, but most importantly, take the time to rest so that you can feel good because your health is your wealth. That is beautiful. Little Ivory needed that. So thank you for asking me that question. I just find find that that's so powerful because I think it helps us to tap into what we didn't have that we needed as a younger person. Mm-hmm. And then once we tap into that, we can go after it. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why I like to ask that of all my guests. But anyway, you asked me all of that. Anyway. <laughs> all right, guys. That is it for today's show. Thank you. Oh, wait a minute. Ivory, before we go, um, tell our guests where they can find you in the online space. Do you have any resources or events that are coming up that um, you would like for them to um, be aware of? 
Yeah. So please add me on LinkedIn. It's just Ivory Bennett. You'll see my picture there. Um, you can add me on Facebook. It's just Ivory Bennett. You can add me on Instagram. It's just Ivory Bennett. And then um, if you do add me on social media, be on the lookout. I'm trying to build a website so that I can start putting my skills out there as a creator. I believe that's something I was sent to do and I'm trying to get it up and running. So you'll see my website coming to a place near you. Yes. And we will have all of this information listed in the show notes of this episode. So you, it will be easily accessible. You don't have to go searching for it. Just click a link and bam, there it is. Yes. All right. So like I was saying, that's it for today's show. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. As I mentioned earlier, and as I mentioned in every episode, hit us up on your favorite social media platform. We are Shades of Strong everywhere. If you want to be a part of the My Strong Is campaign, just simply type up the words My Strong Is, fill in the blank, use the hashtags My Strong Is and Shades of Strong. If you want to share your story of how you dance to the beat of your own strong, come be a guest on the show. And you can find info on that on our website at shadesofstrong.com. All right, we're out of here, guys. Say goodbye, Ivory. Bye. Thank y'all. Love y'all. Be safe. Choose you. Bye.